Well, Pastor Chuck shared his story last week, and so he got this bright idea that I needed to share mine this week. <laughs> and um, so I'm just going to be very vulnerable and honest here. This is the first time I've ever shared my entire testimony, testimony in whole. And so um, be gentle with me, okay? I want to take a minute and uh, a story. We all have stories. My story is not any better, any more powerful than many of your stories in this room. The other thing is, is that we often hear stories in the church that reflect these tragic situations that God redeems and it's amazing and it's wonderful and we all get excited. But then there's a few of us sitting out there going, so do I have to go through that in order to get God that way? <laughs> so for those of you that have not had to go through horrible things and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are blessed. You are blessed and you have a testimony of what it means to stay in purity and to walk with the Lord without hindrance. And so I just want to acknowledge that tonight because sometimes when you hear stories like this, um, I've had people walk up and say, well, I want a story. You know, I wish, and, and I'm saying, no, honey, you don't. It's, it's, it's all good when it's typed up and put on paper and, you know, but in the middle of the night, it's not a good, it's not a good thing. So, so I just want to say that to, to those of you. And, and this story, I'm going to tell you about my life, but it really is about Jesus. It's about the power of Christ. It's about his availability to those who are in need. It's about his willingness to take our ashes and literally turn it into something beautiful. And um, <laughs> thank you. I'm so glad I premised this whole thing with be kind because that was wonderful. I, I almost want to do that again. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right. Anyways. God's going to get me if we don't stay on task here tonight. We have a competition between Chuck and I to see who is going to end on time tonight. So we're going to do our best here. Anyways, in my story, I'm going to go through some different things. And um, in the second half of the book that you're eventually going to get, we'll have the pages that have this. But you might want to jot down the different points that I'm going to hit as far as the type of things I'm covering, such as good moments, and noble moments and things like that because what I want you to do is I want you to think about your own story at some point. This was so helpful for me to actually go through this different way of looking at my life and my life story because um, I tend to just focus on one area of my life when I tell my testimony. I just say it really quick. I say two sentences and everybody goes, whoa, and then I move on. But when I went through this exercise, I realized that in the midst of hardship and struggles and all of that kind of stuff, that there was the weaving that Pastor Check has been talking about on Sunday mornings that God was doing all the way through my life, even at an early age. And so it's really fun to kind of look through your own story and see what God might be doing in yours. Now what I did, because I want to make sure that you understand that I did nothing. People come up afterwards and often say to me, you're amazing. No, honey. He's amazing. I just survived. <laughs> okay? I just survived. So I want you to know that what you hear tonight is not the power of a human being, but it's the power of Jesus Christ. And so I've used verses throughout this because these verses are ones, you know, they're all common. Most of them you will have heard. But they came to me at certain times, and I remembered them forever after that. It was like a word from God in that moment. That scripture came to me, and I remembered. And so when I wrote my story out, I went back through, and I put the different scriptures at what he gave me during that season of life. And so I would encourage you to do that with your own story. It's really fun, actually. It's pretty amazing. So, and if you haven't started walking with Jesus yet, tonight is your night, girlfriend. Tonight is your night to start, okay? So I want you to keep that in the back of your head. All right, let's go. Um, there are moments that shape our lives. And why are we talking about this? We talked about mothers last week. Well, I had a mother who got married when she was 18 and had me when she was 19, and my father went away to the service. And we lived with my grandparents and my great-grandmother, and so it was a combined family. And my mom had very little, and so when they brought me home, they put me in a drawer, and that was my bed until they could get a bassinet. 
and such. And so that's how life started out for me with a, a very young mom. And um, that's not unusual back then. I'm not going to tell you how far back then, but that's not unusual back then. And, um, and he was gone most of the time. And then he came back and then my sister showed up. And so <laughs> that was kind of it for the first four or five years of my life was my dad coming and going. So he was not a big part of my life at the very early stages. And actually, my grandparents were probably the biggest part of my life during that time. Um, I'm guessing, my mom really has never told me, I'm gonna guess she was a bit strung out, you know, at that age, <laughs> having two kids, and my sister came along two years later. Because when I had my children, I was strung out. So I'm just kind of guessing, and I was a little older than she was. So let me just start with good moments in my life. When I was a little girl, I was about five years old, and my grandmother used to go and get her hair done every week. That was in the day, you know, when they, and then they stuck it with toilet paper and kept it that way for, you know, the week. And so my grandma used to go and do that. And this one time she took me with her, and I remember there was a gal who didn't have any client at that time, and so she put me up. I remember her having to get phone books to sit me up in the chair, and she sat me up in the chair, and she was going to do a bun in my hair. But not only a bun, she put glitter in my hair. You guys think glitter is a new thing. I had glitter way back when. I had glitter when I was five. And I thought I was the Queen of Sheba. I did not want my mother to wash my hair. I wanted the toilet paper. I did not want, I did not want my hair touched. I thought I was so special. I felt so beautiful with my grandmother on that day. Another good moment. I was going to um, church. Uh, and I'll tell how I got to church eventually, but I was going to church and my best friend um, in high school, one of, the, one of them, uh, she used to belong to the youth choir. We used to have this huge youth choir of about 100 students. And she would go and every week uh, she would sing. She had this beautiful soprano voice and I would sit out in the pews at that time and sit there and watch every week. And I started learning the songs, and I'd be mouthing along, and I would just watch, and then afterwards we'd go out and we'd do our thing. And the choir director kept watching me, and I just kept mouthing things and verbalizing, you know, and I'm starting to sing. And he kept trying to get me up in the choir, and I was like, there's no way, I can't sing. I don't know how to sing. And um, he eventually got me up there, and I, as long as I stood next to her, we were good, because I could like hear, and then I learned how to put my finger in my ear so I could like hear myself and all of that. But what happened was, is that season of my life was so good because I learned about worship, and I learned about the power of music, and I learned about how to memorize scripture through song. And so I ended up memorizing all kinds of scripture just because of the songs that we sang, and that was a good season in my life. One of the most beautiful days in my life that I will cherish always. I think I felt the most beautiful I have ever felt in my life was the day that I got married to my husband. And um, when I look back at the wedding pictures, you could wonder why I felt that way. But, you know, on that day, um, and I'll just tell you a little family secret, which after this goes on the web, well, none of these things will be family secrets any longer. But uh, my husband back then, uh, you know, He's a white boy, but they had froze. And, um, and so I used to do his perm, and he had blonde, curly hair, and we got married that way. And so whenever, and I don't know what it was, I, I looked like a nun a little bit. My wedding dress was up to here and down to here. And I was like, but I was hot. But anyways, <laughs> so we had this beautiful, I felt so incredibly radiant that day. And my husband has sworn, when my son-in-law and my daughter just got married, you know, he had the spiky hair thing going on, and my husband warned him, you will regret the day that you wore your hair like that in your wedding, because it will follow you for 20 plus ever, however many years. So my husband will kill me for that story, but that was the day that I really felt so beautiful. And I want to um, read to you the psalm that the Lord helped me catch my husband with. So any of you that are looking for a husband, this is your psalm. Okay, it is Psalm 37, verse 3 through 6. You see, I loved that man way before he even knew I existed. And he told me to go date somebody else for a while, and I did, and then came back, and, and I just kind of hung around him, you know. And, um, and then finally I played hard to get. That works, by the way. <laughs> and the desperate thing doesn't work, but as soon as I played hard to get, 
he was putty in my hands. So, but Psalm 37 was the verse when my heart was broken. He broke up with me a few days, a few times, over and over again, but uh, until we got it right. But the psalm that the Lord gave me was Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. And what I saw in this psalm was that it was all action words. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land where you are. Some of you are stuck in the land. I'm sorry. Dwell there. Cultivate faithfulness while you're in that land. And delight yourself in the Lord while you're in that land. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Another good time in my life was my babies. I have the two girls. And the reason that was such a huge ordeal in our life was because I was told that I would not ever be able to have children. They're literally both miracles, and I don't know to this day how we ended up having them except for by the mercy of God and his intervention. And so um, I had Sarah and I had Amy, and I remember when I was pregnant with Sarah, I wasn't sure about this whole thing. I was nervous because I wasn't supposed to be able to have kids, and then I was pregnant with this baby, and I had the worst, worst um, morning sickness, day sickness, night sickness, sickness. And so it just never went away. And I was worried because I thought maybe something was going to happen to the baby and all of this stuff. And I remember sitting in my bed one night and praying over um, my tummy and praying for that baby that was in there and asking for a name. And the Lord led me to the story of Sarah and Abraham. And so I just felt like the Lord really put that word Sarah in my head, in my heart, and um, that's how she got named. And I felt that it was like a confirmation from the Lord that he had her and he was going to take care of her. Noble moments. These were a little harder for me to come up with. Noble moments. I think I've decided that I'm going to be about being more noble after this. It was a little hard to find a few, but noble moments in my life. I was learning about the Holy Spirit and about healing. I was learning about the power of God to do amazing things. And there was a woman in the church that I used to attend that had multiple sclerosis. She was a woman that actually used to watch me sing in the choir. And she used to always come up to me and tell me how much she loved watching me sing because I radiated, I guess. She saw Jesus on me and she would always compliment me and tell me how much it encouraged her. And so we had this little special bond. And um, it was time they were getting desperate. They asked for people to come and pray. We went and we went to the pastor and talked to him about praying. And there wasn't a lot of anointing going on in that church and laying on of hands and things like that, like we do here. So it was very foreign and new to them. And the pastor, I'll never forget what he said. He said, just make sure you don't spiritually rape her. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he says, if you go and you pray and she's not miraculously healed, do not abandon her. And I was like, okay. I didn't know what that really meant. But I found out what it meant. Because in this case, she was not miraculously healed. I have seen miracles, but in this case, it was not that way. And everybody disappeared. But I never forgot what, what um, Pastor Kevin told me. And so I just was prompted by God to go and to visit her at her bedside. And she was at the point where she was completely um, unable to speak and unable to do and It was very hard to keep her clean. So her hair was greasy and oily and her skin was oily. And and um, they tried the best they could to keep her clean, but it was very difficult. And I would go, and I would sit by her bedside, and, um, and I would sing hymns over her. And I knew the songs that she loved the best, and that's what I did, because she couldn't speak. That was probably one of the most noble things I did, and it cost me absolutely nothing. And I actually was the one that was the most blessed out of the entire experience. And so I really don't even know if I can count that as a noble moment, but... Um, I was able to minister to her and to be with her until the day that she passed on to be with Jesus. Another thing that I think is a noble moment of mine is refusing to stay a victim. I'm telling you my story backwards, so you're going to hear all the gory stuff at the end. But um, I refused to stay a victim. And I think that because of my childhood, I was a fighter. And out of that, when I got with Jesus who also is a warrior king, and his power and presence was housed inside of me. Together, we fought some pretty 
bloody battles together. And I have to say that he has had victory and in every single one of them. And to his name be the glory. But what I did that I think was noble is that I stayed in the fight. And I didn't give up. And I'm still fighting to this day for territory that I refused to let the enemy have in my life. I didn't give up because I had two children that needed a better mother than the one they were getting. They needed a mother that wasn't going to scream at them bloody murder. They needed a mother that wasn't going to pick them up and throw them across the room. They needed a mother that was going to be a safe place for them and reflect Jesus to them and um, not verbally abuse them. They needed a mother that was going to bring peace and calm into their life and teach them how to become women of God. I also stayed in the fight because my husband is the most precious man in the world, simply because he stayed. He has stayed with me through some pretty horrific things, and he has the battle scars to prove it that I was an extremely abusive wife. And we don't talk about abusive wives. We talk about abusive husbands. I had so much anger and rage in me that would come out at amazing times and moments of frustration, and he would get so verbally abused. And um, it never got really physical, but we got really close on a few occasions. And it, um, I think I beat him down so terribly for many, many years. And we've had to recover. I think the noble thing that I did was I was determined that I was not going to stay that way. And I was determined that if the Bible says what it says and it's truth, and I believe it, then I really can change. And I really can become a different person. And I really could become that mother and that wife that my family deserved. And so I stayed in the fight. Another, it's not really noble because a lot of people were praying at the same time that we were praying. Many of you have heard the story of our church, and for those of you that are not part of our family, I'm not going to go into detail over that, but we've had a rough season over the last several years. Last couple years have been wonderful and getting better all the time. This morning, 39 decisions for Christ. Hallelujah. My gosh, that's amazing. So God is definitely on the move. He's definitely doing something outside of our human capabilities. And Pastor Chuck is doing the happy dance up and down the hallways, and it's really fun. And we join him on occasion just so he doesn't feel so funny. But um, the, there was a, a night that God woke me up in the night and said, raise up the intercessors. And I really felt that it was the Lord. I have never had one of those experiences where I just like shot up in bed. And so there was a group of women after prayer that we got together. And there were others that were doing the same thing. And so I believe that theirs was noble as well. And it was to stand in the gap. I think I learned what it meant to really stand in the gap for something that I really cared about um, more than just my family. I learned about fighting for an institution that I believed in. I learned about fighting for the bride of Christ. I learned about fighting for the sheep that Christ has died for. I learned about standing in the gap in a way that I had never experienced before. And we watched God do amazing things, amazing things. And what we are seeing today, literally, and I'm sure the others that had been praying as well can testify to this, that the things that God was showing them as well as us in our little group, we are seeing to fruition today. We're watching it come. We're watching it happen. We know more is coming. God showed us more is coming. And it's an amazing season. And it's so privileged to be here. So awesome to be in this place at this time when God is visiting us in a powerful way. And so I'd like to share with you this passage. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petitions for the saints. Do you have your armor on? You see, the armor is actually Jesus Christ. He is our salvation, the helmet of salvation. He is our righteousness. He is our truth. He is our prince of peace. And he is the one in whom we have our faith, which is our shield. It's in him that every fiery dart of the enemy is doused. And he, he is the living word, according to James 1, 1, or John 1.1. 1. He is the living word, and so the word of God is our sword. It's the word of God that cuts back at the enemy and also cuts back and does heart surgery on us at the same time. It's a two-edged sword. It's a powerful thing. Are you in Christ? You see, because Christ is your covering. If you're facing a battle and you do not have Christ, you are not covered. If you are in Christ... It doesn't mean the arrows won't come, and it doesn't mean he might, he's going to let maybe a few through because he's going to use them to refine you, but he is going to stand between every single one of those things, and he is going to have something to say about every single thing that the enemy throws your way. He is your covering. Missed moments. I'd really rather talk about noble moments, but missed moments. One of the things that I have missed because of what started very early on in my life, um, we're thinking probably at about three years old, it started. I have missed innocence and purity. And I was sexually abused for several years by more than one perpetrator, used in rituals, and um, several different things took place during a long season of my life. And I don't know what it, I didn't know what it was to be pure or to be innocent because it was stolen away from me at an early age. And the irony of the whole thing is that my name, Catherine, actually means pure one. And when I found out what it meant, I was like, Lord, that's just a bad joke. That's just a bad joke. Isaiah 1.18 Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. In Ephesians 5, 25, it's talking about husbands, but I want you to pay attention in this particular night about Jesus Christ and what it says about him. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. I discovered what purity was. I discovered what it meant to be innocent because of Jesus Christ. I discovered what it meant to be washed clean, and to be given a clean slate, and to have a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and as many chances as I need. And I've watched him literally restore to me the things that were stolen from my youth. Another missed moment that still continues to this day is my sister. I have a sister. I don't really talk about her very often. That's because we really don't ever talk to each other. I don't know why. There's really no reason we haven't had any big knockout, drag out. There's been no real anything major, but we just have never connected. We've never clicked. We've just never, just haven't. And I'm sure a lot of it had to do with some of the things that we faced as children, but um, that to me is a missed moment. And God's really been laying on my heart lately 
that I need to pick up the phone and I need to start working on that so that I don't miss that moment with her. Another missed moment I had is I used to live in uh, Paramount years ago, and there was a, a gal that used to sit on the corner. She was a homeless woman, and she was there all the time. And this one particular day, I drove out, and I was in a hurry, and I had the baby in the back, and I was rushing and all of that, and I drove by, and um, I just got this impression that the Lord was telling me. I looked down, I saw she didn't have any shoes on, and the Lord was telling me, go get shoes. She needs shoes. And I was like, I will. I will bring her shoes later, Lord. I promise I'll bring her shoes later. She's here every, every day when I come out. And I ran on my merry way, and I came back. Do you know I never saw that woman again? Never saw her again. I missed that moment. Matthew 25, 44. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. It was something I never forgot. I don't give something to every single homeless person that I come across, but when God prompts me, then I do. Because I don't ever want to miss one of those moments again. But it's not just about homeless people. It's about other people that I might be surrounded with that God is prompting me to reach into their life and to do something in the name of Christ. Will I miss that moment? I had a girlfriend named Anne, and Anne was another missed moment. She was actually the one, we went to a church where we never saw a baptism by immersion, and uh, it was by sprinkling, and they sprinkled babies, and then if you missed the baby part and you were older and came to Christ, which we only saw on very rare occasions, um, I was there for 20 years, and never, there was never an altar call. And I came here, and there has probably been this many Sundays in the 14 years I've been here that I haven't seen somebody come forward in one, in one of the services. There's probably never been a Sunday that I haven't seen somebody come forward in this church. And so it's an amazing thing to watch the transformation that takes place in lives. And I was somewhere for 20 years, we didn't see that and didn't know anything about immersion or that type of baptism. And God started laying it on my heart as I was reading the scriptures that Jesus was immersed. And I was thinking, I think you might know something that I don't know. And uh, so I was all into following Jesus at that time. And so I thought, well, I probably need to do what Jesus did just because Jesus did it. I didn't need to understand it all. I just knew he did it. And so I was going to, to be immersed, but I didn't know how they did that or where they did that because I'd never seen it done. And then my friend Ann called on the phone, and um, she says, you know, there's this strange thing happening. She says, I keep feeling like I'm supposed to be immersed in baptism. And I said, me too, you know, so what are we going to do about it? And so she, she goes, I know a place. And I was like, it was kind of like we were like on a secret mission to get baptized, you know. And, um, and my, seriously, we didn't tell our friends, because they would think we were crazy, you know. What, you've already been baptized, you know. We're like, no, but we want to be baptized like Jesus. Well, you know, a little water is just as good as a lot of water, you know. But so she said she knew a place. It was Jack Hayford's church at that time in Van Nuys, the church on the way. And um, we went down there. We did round up a few friends that we thought we could trust with this secret information. And we went down there and went into this huge, they had like, you think, they had the massive tank. Like their tank is like, I don't know, it's like twice the size. They put like 10 of you in there at a time. And if this many people come, keep coming forward, we're gonna have to do that. So they put like 10 people in there at a time. And then everybody, you know, does everybody at the same time. And it was amazing. And it was like, I don't know. I had a God experience in my baptism. I know you can't promise that kind of an experience with everybody. I had this amazing God experience. So Anne and I had this bond together. And we moved out here, and we saw each other on occasion, and she was a missionary, and she had gone away and had gotten some kind of a viral thing that turned into pneumonia. And I had been getting prompted to call her and prompted to call her and prompted to call her. And I was going to get to it, and I was going to get to it, and I was going to get to it. And she was only about four years older than me. And then one day I got the call that she died. And so I missed my moment to call her. Hurtful moments in my life. I told you a little bit about the sexual abuse, and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about our wacky family. Um, my great-grandmother was a devout Episcopalian, and we went to church every Sunday. 
And, um, but in my home, as I grew up, we did the Ouija board stuff and the ESP. It was in the 60s and all the, the um, reading of the mind thing, if, for those of you that don't know what ESP is. And uh, we did, you know, um, seances and there was just all this wacky stuff that we did in my home. And I was raised to believe that that was a special gifting of God, that I was able to do that. And so I grew up my whole life and we went to church on Sunday and then did all this other stuff during the week. And then um, somewhere in there, and we're not exactly sure how, but down the street is where I was abused. Down the street is where the rituals took place. And, um, and I, got, I was involved in all this stuff. I was a mother's nightmare at junior high slumber parties. You did not want me over at your house. <laughs> and um, because we did all the games that they played at slumber parties, but they worked when I was there because I knew how to do all this stuff. And so we had some wacky things go on. And, and um, I still, it still makes me sad, actually. It grieves me that I was a part of that. And I hope and pray that, there are, um, that the girls that I was with at that time have come to know the Lord because um, I'm sure I led them down crazy paths. hurtful moments. There was this boy in um, youth group. He was the hottest thing. I'm telling you, I'd never seen anything so beautiful in my life. <laughs> I thought for sure this was God's best creation and he saved him just for me. <laughs> and, um, but I knew I didn't have a hope and uh, I really had a very bad, a very low self-esteem about my looks, that's why I thought it was awesome that you all cheered that I was beautiful. And, um, and Brian actually started dating me, and I was like, whoa, I think I've got more going on than I thought I did, so. And I was so excited. I remember going to a high school party um, of friends that had gotten together after we graduated, and I walked in with him on my arm, and they were all looking at me like, how did she do that? <laughs> you know, it was all good. This was funny, girls. You're all jealous, I know. That's why you aren't laughing. Anyways, but after a few months, I remember sitting in Brian's van when he brought me home from a date one night, and he began to talk to me, and he told me that he could no longer date me because um, his family thought for sure we were going to be married, but he wanted me to know that I really didn't look anything like he thought his wife would look like, and I really wasn't pretty enough to be his wife. And so that was how he broke up with me. You know, he's stupid, but you know, <laughs> the thing is, <laughs> you know, boys say dumb things. Girls say dumb things. We say dumb things. But you know what? That dumb thing went with me for years and years and years. And it took a lot for me to get past that and get over that. I also had the great privilege of going through some turmoil at another church in a, a really tough season and um, had my pastor, through a series of events, basically tell me that I was of Satan. And coming from what I came from and watching Jesus set me free from that and watching him transform my life, and then end up having a pastor proclaim that over me, it was, it was the most horrific thing that anybody could say to me. It was the worst thing that anybody could say to me because I knew how real Satan was and I knew what it cost to get free from all of that. I knew what it took and to have that said to me was a really painful thing. And the scripture that God gave me during that time was 1 Corinthians 12, verse three. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That was the promise that God gave me. I was praising Jesus. I loved Jesus. I accepted Jesus. I proclaimed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if I was of Satan, I would not be able to do that. And so that was the promise that God gave me. Defining moments. When I came to Christ... I had a girlfriend in high school 
that was not at all popular. She just kind of followed me around all the time and um, had the long, straight hair, wore no makeup, literally walked around kind of like this, was about the shyest girl you'd ever meet. And she, her name was Debbie, and she led me to the Lord. She gave me the Four Spiritual Laws book. It was this little paper that told you about how to come to Jesus. And the funny thing was, I went home, I read it on my bed at 16 years old, and I knew it was true. I just knew in my spirit it was true. So I read the prayer and I accepted Christ. And see, I told you we were going back for, backwards. I really didn't get baptized before I came to the Lord. It was the other way around. Are you tracking? Okay. <laughs> and so that was how I came to the Lord. And that was a defining moment in my life. Um, I went back to youth group and told them what I had done and they were all excited. And so we used to go out for coffee after high school group and we all went over to the Denny's and, and um, had our thing going on there, and they were all excited, and the waitress wanted to know what we were celebrating, and they said that I had just come to the Lord. Well, the waitress happened to be a Christian, and the verse that she gave me is one of everybody's favorites, Jeremiah 29, 11, and 12. I did not know what that was. I had never heard it before. I went home, and I looked it up. She says, go home and look it up, and it said, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope, and for me, that meant a great deal. Another defining moment in my life was in college group when they had a visiting speaker come, and she was a white witch that was now a Christian, meaning that they did good witchcraft. I want you to know there's no such thing as good witchcraft. I want you to hear it here, no such thing as good witchcraft. Got it? Okay. Uh, Wicca and all that other stuff, not good. Everybody hear that? Not good, okay? So uh, she came and she taught and shared her testimony and then she passed out this piece of paper that had all of the lists of things that you could be involved in that would be considered witchcraft and against God's word. And the thing was, is at that moment, I had been a Christian for about four years at that point, but when I was still reading my horoscopes and still doing other stuff on the side because I didn't know that, you know, the two things didn't go together. And... I looked at this list, and on this page was my life. I probably could have marked off almost every single thing that was on that page as being something that I had participated in in my life. And the one that really got me and really grabbed my attention was the tea leaf reading because my great-grandmother, that was what she did. She was a tea leaf reader, and people would come to her to have their tea leaves read, and she was the big hoobah. And um, is that such a word? I don't know. But... Um, so they would come to her to have their tea leaves read, and that was the one that grabbed me because my whole life it was a big deal that my great-grandmother did this, and it was like this esteemed thing in our home. And that night I realized that I had been so deceived, so deceived. In Deuteronomy 18, beginning at verse 10, it reads, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. Sounds kind of like some of our TV shows these days. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. If you are involved in any of those things, I want you to come and talk to me afterwards if you have any question that what you are involved in you need to run away from. Okay? Promise me you'll come talk to me and let me be your mama for just a few minutes before you leave here tonight, okay? We are deceived in our culture today. All of these things are still alive and well today. They're showing up in different forms. They're on your TV shows. They're in your magazines. There's all kinds of things to tell you, and Oprah is the big um, prom promoter of a lot of the mystical and occultic practices that are out there, and it's under this incredible disguise, and she is just as deceived. Another defining moment. Hang on a second, I have to check my time, I have to be check. Oh good, I'm gonna do good. All right, <laughs> we're not competitive around here at all. <laughs> Another defining moment was a girlfriend that I had known since junior high and went all the way through high school with me. And um, we raised our kids together and such. And uh, 
she moved to Colorado and went to a church that was very, 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 very different than anything I've ever seen or experienced. And um, they kind of had a lot of wacky rules and things that they went through. And she called me up one day so excited because she thought she had something that was going to absolutely set me free and transform my life. And she called to let me know that um, one of these days, her prayer was that one of these days, I would be able to thank God for his perfect plan for my life when he made sure that the ritual abuse and the sexual abuse and all those things were a part of my life, that I would come to the point when I would be able to celebrate and thank God for that. That put me in a crisis. I remember being on my knees at my bed, crying out. I had loved the Lord for many years, and I was like, Lord, I don't understand this. This doesn't match up with who I know you to be. This doesn't make sense to me. Now, I know that God is sovereign, and I know that there's things that make it through, but Chuck's been saying it a lot lately, and he's going to keep teaching on it, and that is not everything that happens to us in this world is God's will. Things happen that are contrary to God's character and to who God is, and this was one of those times. And I remember, literally, I, I don't know how to put it into words, I was in such a crisis at that night, that night that I was, I was just wrestling with God, fighting with God, crying out to God, because he was the only thing that had ever made sense in my life, and he was the only thing that had ever given me hope in my life, and he was the only thing that had ever caused me to feel even a little bit pretty, and a little bit valuable, and a little bit worthy, and a little bit anything. He was the only thing in my life, and now I'm finding out that he was actually the one that did all this stuff to me, and I just couldn't I couldn't comprehend it in my head. And so God started taking me through scriptures. They started coming up in our heads. Ladies, these are the reasons why you need the word of God in your spirit, in your heart, in your soul. Because there are times that the enemy comes in like a flood and it has to come from the reservoir that's within you. It has to come from within. And those scriptures in the middle of that dark hour, me and God going toe to toe, is when the word of God started coming up in me, in my head, in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, and started speaking to me the truth of God that was breaking the lies of Satan over my mind and my thoughts. And I really believe that that's the only reason that I made it through that night. And this is the scripture that the Lord led me to that really made the difference. 1 John 4, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. That sounds like a very simple verse. But for somebody who had lived in the darkness for so long and had finally found the light, and now somebody was trying to tell me that God was a part of that darkness. That made all the difference in the world to me. And then I was called to ministry, another defining moment. We were in this building, and it was um, about seven years ago. And I was sitting right back over that way with my husband, who's a very quiet man. And Pastor Barry got up, and he began to speak what the sermon was going to be about and that it was going to be about people that feel called to be in full-time ministry. And at that moment, it was like an electrical current went flying through me and I just kind of got to the edge of my seat and I was like, I'm going down, you know? And, and we never did, we never did the like come forward for stuff thing, you know? It was just the come forward for um, accepting Christ or anointing. We didn't like come forward for the sermon part and I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. I know he's going to call me. I know he's going to call me. And Richard's looking at me like, where do you think you're going? <laughs> you know, and I'm on the edge of my seat and I'm waiting. And um, at the end of the sermon, by golly, he did it. He called us forward, and I came up, and I went running down that aisle, and I was like the first one standing right in the front, and it was amazing. I don't know. God just like got a hold of me, and I took off. I was kind of like Elijah, but um, for those of you that know your Bible, if you don't know your Bible, you have to look it up. So I went running, and, um, and they anointed us and prayed for us. I had no idea what that meant. I had no clue what that meant. I just knew I was on the edge of my seat. It was time to go forward, so I did, and 
shortly after that, um, I was able to get hired on at the church. There was a change in staffing. I was on part-time, then on full-time. Got to go to the London Institute, got to get my master's in, in Christian ministry, was able to um, continue on here, and then eventually was pastor over a few things for a while there, and now I get to be over you, so I'm good with that. But um, it all went around in circles, and then here I am today, and that was a very defining moment. The other defining moment was I got a chance to, to, to preach a 15-minute sermon in the big church. Um, one summer when Pastor Barry was on sabbatical and I got to do 15 minutes in the big church and I was so excited and I was standing up there and all of a sudden I remembered that about 20 years beforehand there was a three-month period when three different people had come to me and had said in prayer that they had had a vision that they saw me preaching in front of thousands of people. It was 20 years ago at that time, which is more now, but that I, um, was I was in the middle of almost a nervous breakdown. I was going through all kinds of things. There was all kinds of stuff going on in my life, and I just went, okay, yeah, right, uh-huh. And then the next person would come up and say they had a dream, and they saw me standing at a pulpit in front of thousands of people, and I went, okay, uh-huh, right? And then another person three times in three months, and I had completely forgotten about that. And as I walked up to give my 15-minute sermon and looked out and saw a couple thousand people in that room, I just about lost my cookies. So I, because all of a sudden, it was like, you did it, Lord. You did it, Lord. How did I get here? I don't know how that happened. And so that was a real defining moment for me. And so I'm shooting for 20 minutes next time. That I, I'm just, te I'm teasing. <laughs> Chuck's going to listen to this. And he's going to get me later. And another defining moment was when we began this, this sorority. The night that I walked in and saw all these women, my dream has been that we would be able to impart to you just a little bit of what Jesus has done in my life. That we would be able to impart to you hope that we would be able to impart to you something to hang on to in the tough times, that we would be able to impart to you Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior, mighty God, my friend, the lover of my soul, my bridegroom, and he thinks I'm stunning. Let me read something to you. Someone gave this to me. We just got back from a leadership retreat. And someone gave this to me at the leadership retreat. I'd like to read it to you. It's actually written by Wes Beavis, who was a um, worship pastor here for a while. And then the worship team's going to come up, and we're going to do the invitation in just a second. But I'd like to read this to you. I thought about you for ages, even before the start of time. I contemplated everything that went into your design. I fashioned you completely, uniquely through and through. I didn't start with someone else then slightly change them into you. I thought about your future, dreamed what you could be, then I got to work creating someone the world has never seen. I thought about your appearance, and I knew you'd want the looks that would find your picture taken and put on magazines and books. Sometimes you'll want to question why you look the way you do. I chose to take your beauty and pour it all inside of you. You see, when I came to make your beauty, I decided what I'd made was too precious for the outside, where the years would make it fade. So I put it all into your heart, protected from your age, knowing then that you could radiate through life's life at every stage. I know you still will question, and to question you are free, but be assured of this, my child. You're so beautiful to me. Maybe you don't know that you're beautiful. Maybe you don't know that you are, you have the opportunity to become pure. Maybe you don't know that you have the opportunity to walk in light and come out of darkness. And so tonight, if you have felt God tugging on your heart, I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and I will promise you that you will never be the same. 
It's one thing in this world I can promise and stand on. But perhaps tonight you know that, Jesus. You've known him at other seasons in your life, and maybe you've just gotten away from that. I want you to know that he will purify you again. I want you to know that he will cleanse you again. I want you to know that he will give you hope again. I want you to know that he will set you free again. And so if you desire to recommit your life to Christ, we would love for you to come forward as well. Let me close in prayer. Almighty God, you are worthy of praise. And I just pray, Lord God, that when the women walk out of here, it's not my story they remember, but it's your story they remember. A story, Lord, of redemption, of changing a life, of taking someone and doing something out of it that just makes absolutely no human sense. I thank you, Lord, that your dreams for us are so much bigger than what we can ever hope or imagine. I thank you, Lord, that every woman in this room is uniquely created by you, divinely fashioned, and has the very stamp of your fingerprint on them. They are your creation. But Lord, there are some in this room who do not know you personally. And there are some in this room who knew you once, but lost their way. God, I would ask that you would gather your women tonight and bring them home. I ask Jesus that you would gather those that need to know that you are their bridegroom, that you would gather those that need to know that you are the lifter of their head, that you would gather those that need to know that you are beautiful and that in you is salvation and in you is rest and in you is peace and in you is hope. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, will you please continue to pray during this time? And for those of you, if you feel God tugging on your heart, not my words, but Him speaking to you, would you let me know that you're going to pray this prayer with me by raising your hand so that I know who I'm praying with and I would love to just give you a wink and welcome you into the family of God. Is there any here that would want to come to the Lord tonight and make this night your night? Praise God for you. God bless you, honey. God bless you, sweetheart. Any others? Don't let this be your missed moment. Okay, let's pray. Those that raise their hands, would you pray with this with me? Lord Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for desiring to wrap your arms around me and save me. Thank you for washing me clean of my sins and purifying me. Thank you, Jesus, that you are everything that I need. I ask you, Lord, to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive you, Lord Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior, and I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.